The kakadu plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. This podcast should not be used as a substitute for medical or mental health advice. Individuals are advised to seek independent medical advice, counseling, and or therapy from a healthcare professional with respect to any medical condition, mental health issue, or health inquiry, including matters discussed on this podcast. This episode discusses abuse which may be triggering to some people. The views and opinions expressed are solely those of the podcast author or individuals participating in the podcast and do not represent the opinions of Red Table Talk Productions, iHeartMedia, or their employees. So if I can be curious, not that the next thing I'm going to do is the next best thing or that it's going to be the perfect thing, but if I can just... Be curious about a way of living that's not mine. Curiosity is the gateway to a new belief, and it's much easier to flow with curiosity than it is to suddenly go, I can believe something different. Can you figure out if you are dating a narcissist? That question comes up all the time, and you are about to find out that it's the wrong question. After the thousands of videos and content and social media posts that talk about the biggest red flags and the five signs that you're dating a narcissist. Turns out it may not be the right approach. Today, we are going to hear from one of the best dating and relationships experts in the business, Matthew Hussey. If you don't know Matthew, he is a New York Times bestselling author and has the number one dating advice channel in the world. His YouTube videos have been viewed more than 470 million times and his content reaches more than 10 million followers weekly. He is also the host of the podcast, Love Life with Matthew Hussey. Today, We're going to hear his perspective and belief that by putting 
all of your effort into trying to avoid another toxic relationship, you may be missing what he believes is the real antidote, which is focusing on you, giving yourself permission to hold standards for yourself and slowing way down. And we will also talk about why this is uniquely difficult for survivors of narcissistic relationships. Matthew's a good friend, and it is a pleasure to welcome him here on Navigating Narcissism. We're here with Matthew Hussey. Matthew, welcome. It's so nice to have you here. What a great way to kick off this second season. I'm so honored and happy to be here. I've done many, many kind of podcasts in my life, but this is this is a special one for me to be able to team up with you. Well, it's so nice to have you. I thought I, when I woke up this morning, I thought, ah, I have a friend coming yeah. on today. And, and these conversations we've had in sort of bits and pieces, we've had them, you know, to your community. But we've never had one that's, I think, all entirely focused on, you know, what I really consider is dating in the era of narcissism, where it seems to be so ubiquitous. We've talked a lot about the back end of these stories. What happens when relationships become toxic? What happens to people? But what we don't talk about is sort of the front end. And so that's what I'd love for us to talk about, to hear from you. A dating expert who's not only worked with thousands of women, and I know a lot of women have really been transformed by your advice, but what's compelling to me is you've also worked with thousands of men. Mm. How are you helping them navigate these waters? There's there's toxic people there. So what, what do you think is what are you telling them is the most efficient way to pick out toxic patterns early on when they meet someone new? I would almost start with a first principle, which is that we have to stop trying to become these razor sharp experts all the time in immediately within minutes or hours of knowing someone what their nature is Mm -hmm. and actually to be honest kind of maybe a little bit give up on that idea the problem is the moment we get arrogant about how great we are at deciding how wonderful everyone else is you know we love saying about ourselves i'm a wonderful judge of character Mm. i think i'm a great judge of character and man have i got it wrong in my life when i even take my business i have made hires that I'm convinced are going to be so great. Mm. We, you know, they in every way they seem to pass the checks. The interview is amazing, and you know, I'm convinced this is going to be great. And I sell the team on them, you know, and that's the hard part. I sell the team on them. Mm. This person's going to be great, and then they turn out not to be competent, or they turn out to have an issue once it gets hard. Once it actually becomes Mm -hmm. difficult, once the reality of the job sets in, Mm -hmm. it's really humbling for me how wrong I can be. I always remember those moments. I always remind myself that, firstly, we don't know. Even, by the way, you know, calling someone's references is a much better (laughs) way to know. And and it's always shocking to me still how these days, how few of us actually do call people's Mm -hmm. references. But even when we call people's references... We rarely get the truth from those references. We rarely get the real difficult parts of that relationship and why that person may have been let go or why the relationship didn't work out, mm-hmm. why they're no longer working for that company. 
And in dating, we don't even get references. No. Can you imagine if we did, though? Can you imagine if you could call references when you were dating someone? Oh, what a world. It would be extraordinary if you really got mm. an insight. But we don't. And so we're relying on... In the beginning, probably a dating profile for a lot of people these days, mm. or a first meeting or a first date. And it really tells you very little about the relationship. Mm -hmm. it tells you a lot about how fun someone is to spend an hour or two with, mm -hmm. how charming they are. Mm -hmm. And even certain things that we might say are good indicators. You might say, well, this person is a great listener, you know, because I always think that one kind of caricatured way of looking at a narcissist on a date is that a narcissist is more worried about being impressive than they are being impressed by you mm -hmm. they they mm -hmm. they yeah. they want to show you how great they are i always say narcissists will give you the date of your life you know you you will have the most amazing time and, and mm -hmm. you'll come away screaming about how wonderful it was right but that's because they impressed you most likely it's because there's something about them and the show they put on that was really exciting so you could say okay well then you really have to say who's impressed by me who's a good listener who actually yeah. asks me questions and that's certainly a tick but it's also something that people can do when they know how to make you like them even more you yeah. know if i if i'm a good listener and if i ask mm -hmm. you lots of questions about yourself and i'm yeah. engrossed then i also know that that's going to have a big impact on you so I think that, I guess the punchline is that character, mm -hmm. true character, the kind of character we're looking for is the right values over time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And time is what you do not have early on yeah. when you're making those judgments. And that's why I almost think we have to let go of this idea that we're so razor sharp at judging yeah. people yeah. and instead say, I don't know. I haven't heard anyone say it quite that way. And I love that idea of we've got to get over this idea of us being this expert and great judge of character from the jump for a couple of reasons. I can say as recently as the last few months, the mistakes I've made mm. on people I let on. If I don't know, and this is what I do, we do, we aren't. And there's, there's a reason for that where I want to get to in a minute. But by putting this onus on people, if you should be able to pick this up, because I get that question all the time, Dr. Romney, tell us five things to look for on the first date. I'm like, oh, it's early. Like, do they scream at the valet? I don't know, <laughs> you know? And so, but I think that what you've even done is even lifted that pressure off of someone like me who's being asked an impossible question. Because what it does is it lifts the shame from people who say, why didn't I pick up on all these red flags on the first date? Now, when you back construct it, one or two years in, they'll say, oh, some of the stuff was right there on the first date. But again, we're really good at retrospectively putting pieces together. It's really hard in real time when you yourself are also in a state of sort of heightened, like, who is this person? I'm learning about them. You can't be the expert. And I think that that's, that's actually very freeing for people to hear that it is you cannot be sort of narcissism detective or toxic detective or anything like that on a first date. It's just, it's it's a ridiculous ask. 100%. And it also can turn mm. us into a person we don't want to be. Right. Essentially just a detective for red flags. Yeah. That's yeah. not a version of us we want to be. It doesn't make us uh, a compelling person to spend time with. It mm -hmm. makes us someone who's constantly kind of mm -hmm. squinting and flinching mm -hmm. and looking at everyone's move and trying to extrapolate that out. Right. And... I prefer to be a little less 
judgmental in a way, mm -hmm. but also a little less quick to decide how wonderful someone is. Okay. Kind of okay. almost, almost have fun, be in the moment, enjoy the date. I'm not saying to someone mm -hmm. be unromantic about the date itself. Have that great mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. But we have to have ways of checking ourselves and kind of letting some of that pressure out mm -hmm, afterwards mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so that, you know, it's almost like we blow off, we, we like have to burn off a bit of that energy mm -hmm. that's been created sometimes because it's a potent mix. When we want to find yeah. love, add in a, some excitement at having met someone you have mm -hmm. a connection with, add in a little insecurity, add in some scarcity that you haven't met anyone yeah. you liked in a while. And you have a very yeah. potent mix. You are no longer a, a, a neutral judge of this situation. And so I think that people have to say, it's, we'll see is a magical phrase. Mm -hmm. We'll see. Mm -hmm. you, you know, your friends will ask you, how was the date? Yeah. And you say, oh my God, it was such a great day. And, and he did this and he did that and they did this. And your friends will say, oh my God. And they'll amp you up even yeah, yeah, more. Yeah. Your friends yeah. are dangerous. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because they then amp you up. Yeah. And there has to yeah. be, a, a to me, we'll see captures it perfectly. It doesn't say I'm pessimistic. It just says, I, I don't know what I don't know. Could this become something? Yeah, maybe, we'll see. Is this person as wonderful as I hope they are? Yeah, we'll see. Right, so you, it's pacing because you're talking now about something that I talk a lot about in narcissistic relationships, which is discernment, right? So, And discernment is that part between not constantly looking for red flags, but also not getting almost sort of drunk on the wonderfulness of it all. Mm. It's finding that middle ground where you're saying basically slow your roll a little bit, like take it slow, take it in, enjoy the goodness. Don't feel like you have to be a detective, but also give yourself time to be discerning. But if we if we take our time with anything, we are going to learn a lot more about it. And there is a rush. I think people feel a rush to feel. Yes. And Look, I've met friends in the last 48 hours, new people that I really, really like and mm -hmm. impressed and I'm mm -hmm. impressed with. And in some cases, I'm a little kind of almost intimidated by it because they've, mm -hmm. they've done such wonderful things in their life. And, they, you know, I, there's, I feel that urge in me. I feel the teenage Matthew kind of rise up yeah. and go, I want to be liked so badly yes. by this person. I think they're great. I think they're, I like who they are. They have a wonderful way about them. I want this person to like me. And I perpetrate as anyone of like putting out red flag videos because, you know, in our world we do it. But I almost worry that sometimes we create so many red flags that we're, we're in danger of labeling ourselves sure. a red flag. Because I'm like, with all these different red flags I've put out there, at some point I'm going to be accused of one of these things. And... One of the ways that I almost sense that I become a red flag is like that moment where I get really excited about someone. I know I'm liable to text them and gush mm. in ways that maybe aren't organic to how well we know each other yet mm. or how much this person has actually done, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And in that moment, I speed up the relationship at an inorganic pace. Interesting. And 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 so I think what happens is we we sometimes can be as much a part of that dynamic as somebody else. You know, it's, yeah. I know you talk a lot about love bombing. What about when we're doing a little love bomb? You know, like when we're the ones out of insecurity and liking someone so much that are so worried about getting someone to like us that we overdo it and we try to speed the relationship up. Mm. I think one of the things that's really wonderful about what we're talking about here, which is the kind of 
we'll see approach, which mm -hmm. is more measured, is that there are multiple wins you get out of it. Mm -hmm. One win is you don't steam headfirst into a relationship or a dynamic with someone that isn't earned, that is mm -hmm. going to make them possibly take advantage of you or you be blindsided by qualities you didn't mm -hmm. know were there. Mm -hmm. But the other win that you get from it is that it's actually more attractive. Mm -hmm. Because when mm -hmm. someone recognizes that you are not someone who has immediately decided mm -hmm. this person is the newest best friend you must have in your life and that you'll say anything to get closer to them, which then really in their eyes lowers your value because they're right. like, oh, I don't have an equal here. I have a fan. Right. So that's taking me, though. OK, so I don't have an equal here. I don't have a fan. That works for some people. They like having a fan. They want a fan. They want to be in a relationship with a fan, right? Mm -hmm. So that's where it starts to get a little bit dicey. I, I, if you're with somebody who's saying, I actually am looking for an equal, that's great because that relationship, then if it gets chance to take root, it could really have some potential. But because more than a few people out there are looking for fans, you know, they're looking for supply, they're looking for validation, that early response. And what you're talking about in many ways sounds like something that's called the fawn response. It's actually a sympathetic nervous system response meant to foster attachment, mm. right? So Pete Walker and other people who sort of talk about trauma and attachment talk about the fawn, which is what you're saying, trying to win someone over. By winning someone over, a person then feels safe. It's all about safety seeking because that's that's the other thing I think we forget. I mean, I, again, I often take things down to brass tacks, which is sort of trauma attachment safety. It's all about safety, right? So in that first date, in any number of ways, a person is seeking safety, which is where your distinction between being impressive and being impressed starts to get real tricky because for many people who are – because we don't – when we go on a date, the thing on our back, the accessory we forget we're wearing is our entire life history. And for people who've had histories, even childhood histories of invalidation or being just minimized, mocked, criticized, dismissed, you go into that date and someone's trying to be impressive that's something that is in the moment feels so restorative because in that moment when someone's trying to be impressive, you feel so seen. Mm -hmm. Even though you want them to be impressed by you, that's not even on the radar mm -hmm. of somebody who grew up like that, right? So you're like, oh my gosh, this person did these things for me. The idea of someone doing for mm -hmm. someone is remarkable. So then they feel seen. Now they're gushing. Oh my gosh, I'm really into this person. I'm your fan. Mm -hmm. If you have a personality style where you're looking more for a fan than you are looking for equality, I'm starting to see how this boulder tumbles down the hill. Yes. Yes. And that's so what we're bringing into that first state of what we need and how we need to be seen and how we need to feel safe is how do you think about that when you're guiding people through dating and understanding that we do have safety behaviors and we have holes we're trying to fill because that's what we often try to do. How do you guide people through that? If I have an anxious attachment style after the date, I want to text you and for you to text me back in 10 seconds. Otherwise, I'm going to be anxious. And if you don't text me back for an hour or two, I'm going to... It's going to make me feel unsafe and mm -hmm. you don't like me and I like you more than you like me and so on. And I think then what we do is we respond to that by 
doing more of that thing by giving into that anxious style. Mm -hmm. So I want to text you more now and chase up on you and maybe even tell you that I think you're out of line for not texting me back quickly or you're not doing enough. I think it's one thing that can help us is actually starting with the end in mind in terms of the kind of relationship we want. Mm -hmm. So if I was feeling secure in a relationship, what kind of relationship would I want to have? For example, there's a moment in the series, The Office, where Jim, he's actually not someone who gets jealous. Pam is off studying. In New York. Yes. Mm -hmm. And he sits at the bar with Pam's ex, who is a kind of hot-headed, yeah. you know, jealous male, controlling. And when he hears that Pam's been out till 3 a.m. and left Jim a voice note, on uh, like late one night, he says to Jim, doesn't that concern you? Mm. Oh, that mm -hmm. would concern me, mm -hmm. that she's out late in New York hanging out with new people. And it it puts this thing in Jim's mind yeah. for the first time. He's not even like that, but it, it infects him with this idea. The next thing you know, Jim is in the car, yeah. driving, to, driving New to New York late at night. He's like, I'm gonna go and find out what's going on. And you know, he gets a little way into his drive and all of a sudden he says, you know what? And he turns the car around and he says, no, because that is not me mm -hmm. and that is mm -hmm. not our relationship. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And to me, that was such a powerful moment because what it did, talking about almost putting the power back in our own hands, he took accountability for creating the kind of relationship he wanted to mm -hmm. be in. In other words, his safety was not going to come from showing up and finding out that she wasn't doing anything. Right. His safety was going to come from being a leader mm -hmm. in creating the kind of relationship he wanted. Now, if she didn't live up to that standard, that's a different thing. Mm -hmm. If he later found out, but right now he was going to be a leader in creating the kind of relationship that he wants. So if you project forward into the kind of relationship that is your ideal relationship mm -hmm. and it's not one where when your partner goes to the bathroom you're checking their phone right. don't check their phone now if right. your ideal relationship is one where someone can actually go off the radar for five hours or ten hours or whatever and you feel fine you feel great because there's no anxiety there you know they love you you know, they care about you. You know, they're loyal. You know, if I know if my partner and this relationship has been a beautiful one for me because my partner, if she disappeared for 24 hours, mm -hmm. as long as she sent me a text saying I'm safe, mm -hmm. I would not have jealous feelings. I would not have anxiety. I wouldn't wonder what she's up to. Right. And now if that's the relationship you want to be in, start with behaviors that build that kind of relationship. Because that relationship is a representation of the kind of relationship where you actually feel safe. Mm -hmm. So that doesn't mean, obviously, start giving the amount of energy that you would if you were in a full-blown relationship with this person. Right, right. It means do the things in the beginning that imply you're going to have a healthy relationship with this person. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If the cadence of what they mm -hmm. do, if the standard they give you or the respect they give you quickly reveals itself to be one that isn't in line with that 
that then becomes a conversation and I, we can talk all about this but i think there's different ways of having the conversation depending on how early it is yeah because there's a way to wade into aggressively or in a way sometimes even too seriously mm -hmm. when you don't know someone very well but to me rather than following your style follow the moves that would create the kind of safe mm -hmm. relationship you actually want to be in model the behavior of the relationship you want to be in and that means by the way if you go if you date someone if you go on two dates with someone and you haven't heard from them in the last couple of days reach out to them first and ask them how they're doing and how their day is model the kind of communication you want to see from them instead of just being led by what they're doing Right there, you're nailing into something that I hear from clients I work with in therapy. So, you know, I'll work with young clients, not even always young clients. Sometimes clients post-divorce, they're dating. I know I'm not supposed to text them. They should be texting me. How long should I wait before I text back? Yeah, I'm not a dating expert. I'm like, how long? I mean, and I'm saying what you're saying. Like, if you want to communicate with them, communicate with them. No, no, no. Then I'm going to feel needy. Shouldn't they be chasing me? I said, why would they? Why? And I, I'll often be quite perplexed. And I'm, I think, from a more of a, you know, again, maintaining your identity and a healthy sense of self, I'm hitting it. But what you're saying, though, let's face it, and tell me if I'm wrong, is isn't the prevailing wisdom you need to wait? They, you, if you text too soon, the whole thing is going to go away. Bringing it back to this narcissism topic, nobody plays the game better than narcissistic people because they're often setting the rules for the game, moving the goalposts all over the game. In fact, they're changing the game. You think you're playing soccer, then it's rugby, and then it's basketball. And so it's just shifting all the time. They get to be the shifter. And so you have someone who's coming in with the best of intentions. I'm going to try to make this relationship be the way I want. I know what I want it to be. I want it to be trusting. I want it to be collaborative. I want it to feel safe and secure. And now someone is saying, and now they text them, and then there's silence because for that other person, let's say it's a, it is a game for them, or they can't be bothered. They're just, at that point, they don't want to do this dance. I have a feeling I know your answer, but I'm hitting this from where I think a lot of people are saying, that's not been my experience, and I was told not to text back. Yeah. So help us understand that matthew because in a way i'm thinking of every client who's ever asked me this question and now i get to go back with the answer <laughs> so tell us i feel like i have so many different ways of of coming at this uh, so i'll maybe come at it from a couple of different angles firstly attraction is a dance and you can't be the same person in the dance you can't make the same step all the time if in salsa you step backwards the next thing is your turn to step forwards it's not step backwards and then step backwards again. And then when they do something, step backwards again and just keep being slightly mm -hmm. out of reach. And just that's, that's not a fun dance, not for a confident person, an insecure man or a man with problems that he needs to fix. He will keep pursuing you in that dance, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. you're attracting a dance partner you shouldn't be trying to attract. Mm. So if you step back last time, it's kind of your turn to step forwards. And if you step forward last time, it's kind of your turn to step back and create space and allow them to step forward now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But people don't do that in the dance. Mm -hmm. They do one or the other. They step backward, backward, backward. I'm going to just keep him chasing, keep him chasing, keep him chasing. I, which, by the way, I've, I've had dates in my life where I got to the end of the date and I truly had no idea if this person liked me. Mm -hmm. None. 
other than that, that they said yes to a date, mm-hmm. I had no idea mm-hmm. by the end of the day. I had just left the date thinking they definitely aren't interested. And then somewhere along the way, later on, I'd find out they were disappointed I didn't ask them on another, another date. Mm-hmm. And I'd be like, I had no indication of that whatsoever. So that's like an example of someone who's never stepping forward. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then there are people who say, under the guise of, under the label of I'm proactive, they step forwards and the guy maybe texts back. But then the next day, they step forwards again and they text him. And the guy uh, texts back maybe. But then mm. the next day, they text again. So mm. they, they're the one, keep, they keep making the step. They go, why is it I always text him first? He never texts me first. Yeah, yeah. You're always stepping forward. Got it. And you, you, there's no rhythm. There's no rhythm to this. So that's a big problem in that. Some of the work you've done, there's great videos about this. It's in your book. I find it so compelling and also so challenging in sort of the narcissism landscape, which is this idea of standards, which, Matthew, I think is some of the most important stuff you put out there because what you say about standards isn't just about dating. It's about any human relationship we enter into, a friendship, in the workplace, everything. And that's where you're getting to with this, is this, there is a standard you set for yourself. You're not even saying that there's a uniform set of standards. You're saying there is a standard in many ways. It's the standard you, you hold yourself to. It's a standard you'd hold others to. And it's a standard you'd hold a relationship that you'd want to be in. And that seems to be what you're saying. If a person has had a backstory where they have felt chronically devalued for any number of reasons... How do they start developing that sense of standard? Because without that, Matthew, if you do not, even with that sense of standard, it's hard to date in a world where there might be some invalidating, toxic, antagonistic people, even with those standards. Without them, it's a bloodbath. So where do those standards come from? How are people supposed to cultivate them, especially, like I said, if they've had legacy issues, family of origin issues, trauma, other stuff that I know people listening to this podcast are saying, my backstory doesn't set me up to set standards. Whenever you talk about standards, self-worth always comes into the mix Mm -hmm. as a conversation, Mm -hmm. right? Oh, you don't love yourself enough, so you don't have standards. And there's there's always like that becomes kind of the central, the heart of the conversation. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that's false. I I think that's absolutely true. You can attack the standards question from a confidence perspective. Right. But you also have to attack it and understand it from the perspective of familiarity, of what you know. There are things that we all learn early on that are as much to do with simply what we know as they are to do with confidence. Confidence almost brings it into a more emotive world as opposed to a world of just this is what I understand I've this is what I've seen this is what I've experienced in my life so I don't know a different game this is a good place to talk about trauma bonding trauma bonding is the conflation of chaos and love of inconsistency with excitement and of having to prove yourself and keep justifying another person's unhealthy or downright toxic behavior. A major originator of the trauma bond is familiarity. When something feels familiar, even if it is unhealthy, it can feel safe, comfortable. And just as we may have done in childhood, 
we may associate that unhealthy behavior with love. I've not experienced a different set of rules. To me, this is how the world is. Mm -hmm. And I think that even when we logically can see that other people are having a different experience than we're having or that their relationship seems to follow a different set of rules, when it comes to our own life, the emotional reality is what we have experienced. I see it like when someone comes out of a relationship, let's say with a narcissist, that person doesn't have reference points for what healthy looks like for the fact that they can be a different way and for the fact that if they are a different way it will actually get a different result that's all unmapped territory so what we have to understand is that you know if you've never stuck up for yourself and you've not been taught that then that is such unknown territory yes it is Mm -hmm. that doing it is alien And the idea that if you do it, it will actually produce a better result, either short term or long term, is you have no reference points for a belief to set there. So for me, a huge thing that I think there are two big solutions. One is to recognize that doing what we've been doing makes us not just miserable, but creates a kind of living hell Mm -hmm. for us. And one of the reasons that people get out finally is because that living hell has has become too much. Right. They Their life has become so chaotic. They have lost so much. Right. Their life has been blown up to the point where this hell is no longer, I cannot stay here a day longer. And so this thing that I've been so terrified of doing, which is leaving, suddenly becomes the better option. My worst fear... Mm-hmm. has finally become the better option. So when someone does that, I think one of the problems we have in upholding standards is that the hell that made us move in the first place starts to drift and we lose connection with the pain of it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. when we lose connection with the pain of it, we start to reconsider tolerating the very kinds of behavior with a new person that landed us in that hell in the first place. So I actually think that if people can find mechanisms for reconnecting to that, Mm -hmm. they don't actually need confidence. You don't Mm -hmm. need confidence if your hand is in a flame, you just get your hand out of the flame. Right, right, right. So there's connecting with the heat (laughs) of the flame so that you do something not because you feel so worthy, but because you go, I just know. And then we start to build confidence on top of that slowly by beginning to get someone to the point where they can take small actions Mm. that create little reference points for the fact that life can be different. And I think that is a magical and subtle place to be is just all you need is an opening in life is is yeah. to know that you just need a curiosity that my way of existing and how I've lived and how, what I've put up with is not the only way in the world because other mm. pe- everyone else doesn't just live like that. So if I can be curious, not that the next thing I'm going to do is the next best thing or that it's going to be the perfect thing, but if I can just be curious about a way of living that's not mine. But curiosity is the gateway to a new belief. And it's much easier to flow with curiosity than it is to suddenly go, I can believe something different. 
My session with Matthew will continue after this break. It took 11 years to get to the sale. The NYX anniversary sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super-comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. Being curious and holding space for the idea that it can be different is actually something that really does come out of not only the thinking on self-compassion, Kristen Neff's work in that area, but it even is something we see in a model of therapy we call acceptance and commitment therapy, where it's this idea of the fancy term, cognitive diffusion. It's splitting yourself away from your thoughts. We become our thoughts, okay? And people who've gone through narcissistic relationships do become their thoughts. They become fused to their thoughts. The diffusion becomes you're not your thoughts and to be open that there can be a different one. I'm going to push you on the standards conversation because we're we're going to talk about the Dr. Romney of it all. Mm. To say that I'm a dating or have been a dating disaster would be would actually be a kind characterization of how I went through this. Whatever less than zero standards were is me. I would go into these relationships thinking that if I did not yield on everything if I did not do everything on their schedule, on their time frame, I'm going to lose this person mm-hmm. because why would they hang around? And I am replaceable. Now, when I think about that, because even as you're talking, I'm like, girl, where your absolute utter lack of standards. What, I know where it came from. I had legacy issues around narcissism. Really, the sense was, we don't, we're not going to see you. We're not going to recognize you. You're not important, okay? Part of that's cultural, Matthew, okay? I grew up in a culture at a time when having a girl was a bad thing. When I was an infant presented to members of the family, they actually mocked my mother for having a daughter. So these are, I truly believe that this early stuff gets wired. I was bad because I was a girl. And the real belief was, who's really going to have you? I was a brown girl in this culture, which I believed, again, it's it's a different time. I'm quite a bit older than you. So I wasn't attractive. So nobody was going to want me. People in my own culture weren't going to want me because I was getting too old. I was too weird. I was too overweight. Pick something. So if somebody gave me even a little bit of attention, I was going to do anything. Oh, drive two hours? Of course I'll drive two hours. Wait three hours? Of course I'll wait three hours. Oh, you're actually going to pay for dinner? Well, I better do anything you ask me to. Okay? Until the very relationship I'm in. I had no standards at the beginning. That relationship... 
largely ended up working out. We're still together. I actually had a, I read your book recently to prepare for the podcast. I had an argument with him. I'm like, I didn't have standards with you. And he's like, what do you want me to do about it now? And, you know, and so, but here's my point in this, is that I zero, zero standards, multiple narcissistic relationships that devastated me, that changed my emotional DNA. I don't trust I, I struggle in making new friends I, and all of that. And I know the people who listen to this podcast had very similar experiences. It wasn't one relationship. This was a lifetime of this. Mm. Where do we begin? So, you know, I understand that. And the, and the idea that it could be different, that was less of a even something to be open to rather than like a, a remote hope. Could it be different? It was a question rather than a possibility. That's what I'd love to hear you unpack a little bit more. And again, that's why I'm putting myself out there, because this isn't an ephemeral question, Matthew. I live this. I know I, I still really don't have standards so much, so I happen to love the person I'm with very much. But if that thing blew up, and it could blow up, I mean, I think we have to hold, we have to be aware that that could. I've committed to myself I couldn't do it again, because I feel like it's so wired in me to not have that. And I'm lucky that anyone pays attention to me, so I don't trust myself. I've overcorrected. Mm-hmm. 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 Walk us through that. A good starting point is to redefine for ourselves what a win is. Okay. I made a video on my YouTube channel recently that was standards related. And there was a comment there that really made me pause for a moment. This woman said, I have tried having standards and all it's meant is me not finding anyone. Bingo. So I've settled for casual because I'm not getting any younger and it means I get to have something instead of nothing. And I'd rather at least have something that I can enjoy. Okay, this nothing. sounds like my soul sister. I, I'm telling you, like, I feel that. I, maybe I wrote that comment. No, you actually didn't. But I kind of <laughs> wish I did because it's that good. That right there, what you're hearing, I'm hearing hundreds of times a day yeah. from the people who listen to what I put out there, which are, I do want love, I want companionship, I don't want to be alone forever, but I, if the minute I, I actually put the line in the sand, as it were, and not even a line in the sand, but really expect engagement at a healthy level, it all goes away, so it's, I'm just going to, so it's either die alone, hmm. lady with cat, or it's, you know, so I, I, I'm so glad that person made that comment because I can. that's exactly what I hear from people asking about these issues. And if you're ultimately, if anyone in a position of coaching is treating that comment flippantly, then they're not a thinking person. Right. Because that is one of the great kind of existential dilemmas of life, I think, mm-hmm. is that we're not going to be here forever. We have a limited amount of time. We're all trying to be happy. We're all trying to enjoy it. We're all trying to find some love, some version of love, some version of connection. And some people's reality is feeling like, you know, yeah, I had standards because you kind of with some people, you know, yeah, you had a standard because you had a whole world of people waiting for you over here. Mm-hmm. You know, you you had a standard because you felt like you had options. And that, well, having options makes you feel like you can have a standard more easily than I didn't meet anyone I liked in the last five mm-hmm, years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and now all of mm-hmm. a sudden someone came along and they liked me. And that like now becomes very compelling. And all of a sudden we're not connecting with, well, 
okay, but do we share the same values? Do we have the same way of looking at life? Do we have a similar outlook? Uh, you know, is this person actually treating me well? It becomes enough that they like me because yeah. being liked or someone coming along that I'm attracted to and they like me, it feels so rare. Mm -hmm that it now is like, I got to hold on yes. to this. And it's the holding on that makes me suddenly do things that I would never normally do or put up with things that I would never normally put up with. I, I think that we have to redefine what the win is in all of this. And, and you can look at that a number of ways. If you redefine, if winning the game is finding peace, mm -hmm. then you look for the things that will create peace in your life. Whether it's single or in a relationship, it kind of doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. You if someone comes along and what they're doing robs you of your peace and it's because not because of something you have to work on but it's because of their behaviors it's disrespectful they absolutely make it unclear as to whether they really like you or not or whether they're interested in moving things forward or progressing mm -hmm. you have a conversation with that person and you explain to them this is this is not making me feel good and because of that i i find myself wanting to give less and less energy to it and you start to back away i think the you know that woman i really her comment stopped me in my tracks for a reason because she made a very compelling argument yeah. but i also think she made an overly simplistic argument because i think that having standards it will absolutely push some people yes. away but having standards also is a magnet for people that you wouldn't attract without standards it actually does pull certain people towards you I mean, my fiance, Audrey, she did things, but I remember when I first, I met her in London and when I first went back to LA, I was not treating her seriously. I was not progressing mm. the relationship. I went back to LA and, uh, you know, I was still being single and I was not, I didn't want a long distance relationship. And, but I still texted her and I still, I, re I think one day I sent her a message that said, like, I miss you or I'm thinking of you. And in that moment, she had a choice to make. This person likes me. That she would have felt. And there probably also would have been at least a little excitement that this person that I like is reaching out to me. Now, that excitement may have also been combined with frustration and resentment and anger that, what the hell? Like, I haven't heard from him in weeks and now I get this. It's a whole thing together. But some people take all of those feelings and they go, I'm going to set them all to one side and just respond as if I'm fine. Yes. yes. Because I don't, A, I don't even want to communicate to this person that they have any leverage over me emotionally. But B, I kind of want to see where this goes. Yeah. And so I'm just going to roll with it. Now that, when someone does that, it sends a very clear message to the person on the other side, which is that my let's call it negligence of this relationship or dynamic, whatever, situationship, goes unnoticed. Yes. Or at the very least, it goes ignored. Mm -hmm. You're willing to ignore it, mm -hmm. which concretizes the behavior. Yes, it does. And she didn't do that. She didn't play cool. She also didn't just kind of respond to be flirtatious and I'm well now that I've got one text from him I'm going to get him really attracted this time yeah, yeah, yeah. what she said was hey I hope you're well to be honest I haven't felt that close to you in a while and rightly or wrongly this message comes across like a bid for attention oh you know I, I, 
to everyone knows, I consider Audrey a friend. And I just went deeper into my friend love for her because that's good. That's so good. I can't, I'm going to tell you, my 57-year-old self could not imagine having the confidence to say that. That's amazing. It's so, I love that. And she will tell you that there was a time when uh, she didn't have that confidence. And which, by the way, I think is really important that people understand you can change at any time yeah. in your life. Mm-hmm. It, it, it doesn't matter. You've been a certain way your whole life. You've always had a certain pattern. You can change. I don't care what age you are, what stage you are. You can change at any point in your life and create a new reference point that leads to a new belief. But you have to do something different yes, to create a new reference point. Now, she sent me that message. And, and there's a couple of important things to note about that message. It wasn't in any way aggressive. Mm-mm. It wasn't passive aggressive either. It was clear. It. She even said, "I hope you're well." You know, mm-hmm. there was. It was a. It still had compassion. Hey, I hope you're well. I haven't felt that close to you in a while now. That acknowledges that we haven't been close. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then it said, "And rightly or wrongly, the rightly or wrongly is really powerful phraseology." Because when you say rightly or wrongly, you're also removing ego from the situation. Because mm-hmm. she's mm-hmm. not saying, I'm accusing you of this. She's saying, I might be wrong. Mm-hmm. I might have completely misread this situation. But here's how it reads. Mm-hmm. This comes across like a bid for attention. Now, she she shone a light on that yeah. elephant in the room. Yeah. Like that, there was no elephant in the room after that. It was like, oh. And I... Immediately, I felt called out. I realized, oh, I can't do this here. This isn't, and, and by the way, what I was doing wasn't even a conscious thing. What it is, is I'm just trying to get mine. Yes, she called it right. I just wanted, to, I just, yeah. I'm feeling lonely and I'm looking for something. Mm-hmm. You know, and we're, we're very quick to kind of, you know, demonize people in different ways. But a lot of the time it's like, just everyone's an addict in some way. Everyone's got their thing, right? In that moment, I'm like, I need, I need something. I'm looking for something. I'm, there's something I'm not getting in my life that is making me reach out in that way, but not in a way that's appropriate for the kind of investment she's looking for. Right. Now, anyone out there hoping that that made me suddenly say, you know what, I want a relationship would be wrong. And that's important to know because we're engaged now, but I didn't suddenly have an about turn yeah. that day. Which is why a key thing is you are in love, you are either playing the short game or you are playing the long game. And real standards is about playing the long game. Mm. It's I am willing to turn this thing away and not yeah. say, and don't ever come back. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Because that's yeah. ego. Mm-hmm, that's ego, yeah. Mm-hmm. Instead, mm-hmm. it's what you're offering is not what I'm buying. Mm -hmm. There's a door that you can walk through that's open to you, Mm -hmm. but you're never going to get through this wall that you're trying to get through here. If you want to come over here and walk through this door, that door is actually unlocked. And that door is one where you actually invest. It's consistent. You make me feel safe. But that's over here. Right now, you're over here. You're trying Mm -hmm. to barge through a wall and you're not going to get through that wall. I'm going to hold on this point to elaborate on it a little bit more. This distinction between the short game and the long game is a difficult one for survivors who, by definition, will be playing the short game 
It's what people with histories of betrayal and trauma do. Short games leave us feeling safe in the moments. And healing and growth are about giving ourselves permission to play the long game. And it took time. But what I quickly realized about her was, oh, this, I'm never going to be able to come back to her with this dynamic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when I do come back, it's going to have to be with a different dynamic. And by the way, someone may still try their luck three months down the line. Sure. And you have to show then that that standard is not a tactic. It is a standard. Right. There's a difference. Right. There is a difference. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Don't have mm-hmm. tactics, have standards. A standard is not a tactic. A tactic is I'm doing this so that you give me right. some short-term result I want. Well, ta- yeah, so tactic no. feels like a manipulation. Yeah, long game. This is who I am. It doesn't even have to be, it's who I am because I'm so amazing and I deserve this and I deserve that. And no, like that to me is still kind of just goes back to ego in a way. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. we. I think we get lost in that logic in a way when that whole like... um who would want me or I'm replaceable or that's kind of still ego. And I think the same is true of standards Mm -hmm. is that if I have those standards, those standards are actually something that starts to sculpt my value. This, we think that we have to deserve it before we have standards, but in a way the standards are a pole in the sand. This right here, this is a good point to dive a little deeper. This languaging around what I deserve is tricky for many people who don't believe they deserve to be treated well and may actually believe everyone else deserves that, just not them. Basically, what I'm hearing from you is you're talking about egoless dating and dating as a whole person. And you can only do that if you do the whole person work, which is valuing yourself, being authentic to yourself, knowing what you stand for. One thing you talked about earlier were values, right? I'm going to push back on that a little. Mm. I actually think that for a lot of the folks who've gone through really toxic relationships, the values aren't even as important as the behaviors. Like, how is this person showing up? You know, the values are great, and I think they're higher order guiding mechanisms, but ultimately... It's the, how does this person respond to even the simplest inquiries in the house? Hey, do you mind just emptying the dishwasher so I can, you know, so I can um, get the kitchen done? Uh, what? Dishwasher? Like, and it, how, how many, I mean, that seem, might seem farcical, 100 times of that. You know, you're exhausted, you're sick, like everything becomes the dishwasher conversation. And so it's about the behaviors. The behaviors to me are everything, you know, and I think that we get so lost in thoughts and feelings. Ultimately, it's how a person shows up, even in narcissistic relationships, Matthew. I'm, I'm, I'm working on the book, and that's one thing that's been really coming through my veins is, we're, is this a narcissist? Are they this? Is this a trait? It, it comes down to how do they behave? How is this person acting, behaving? What are they saying? What are they doing? Because that's all we've got to work with. That's all I got to work with as a shrink. And that's all a person can really talk about because they're going to gaslight you about everything else. They're probably going to gaslight you about the behavior too, by the way. But all of this, the wholer you become, the more you can be that, the more you can send that Audrey text, the more you're able to say, yeah, this, you know, this was a bid for attention. When I think about sending that text wired the way I am, 
I still can't imagine doing that. I was helping a friend through a situation, and the friend was actually going to have standards in how she was texting or emailing or something like that someone. And I felt a physiological reaction in me. I'm like, if she sets that standard, she may end up being alone. And I was like, oh, we feel this in our bodies. So that's how this breaking out of this concept of standards, this goes beyond just even how you think. This is in your body. Because I am thinking, like, I still hold to, like, I'm lucky that anyone wants. Lucky you're sitting here and across from me on this podcast. I really like, um, if Matthew says no, I get that. You know, and I wouldn't even have been surprised or mad at you because that's all I think I deserve. Mm. So when my fr- I see a friend trying to set a standard, I actually get anxious. So that's why I'm saying is that wholeness, but I'm better. It's definitely become better, is that concept of how do you get yourself to that place of healthy enough to date? In terms of where to start, I think that it is really important to get very clear on regardless of what we think we're worth you know when we talk about how do we make ourselves whole i actually think the first distinctions we need to make is what never works Mm. what never works it never works if i betray myself and do things that i really don't want to do it never works and I go try to please people. What has it done for me my whole life? It has made people use me. It's made them take advantage of me. Even sometimes when they're good people, mm-hmm. it's made them take advantage mm-hmm. because they just mm-hmm. don't realize. It has made me resentful. It's made me bitter. It's made me unhappy. And it has not won people's respect. This has never worked. Or this rela- being in a relationship with a person like this has never worked. It's never made me happy. It's never brought me peace. It's never brought me the safety I so seek. If you start to define what never works, that alone can guide mm-hmm. your behavior to somewhere new. You know, if, if, for example, as you said, playing it cool is an overcorrection, then what you can say is, okay, I am going to just, again, curiosity, amazing word. I'm going to get curious about different ways of behaving that mm-hmm. aren't playing it cool. So the next time I get a little anxious or feeling like oh someone hasn't reached out in a week you can maybe i'm going to try something new i'm going to become a social experimenter in my own life i'm going to say to someone hey um it made me sad that you didn't text me this week and i'm just going to see where that goes because i may well be surprised by a new reality Mm -hmm. i may get a reaction i never expected and that creates a reference point so curiosity very very important even if you don't know what to do even if you can't pick up the phone to ramani or matthew hussey you can pick up you can say to yourself what represents some a new action from me than the one i always do yes yeah and and one of the most practical things we can do to give us a more stable base from which to have standards is to add more legs under the table Mm strengthen the legs under the table and ask yourself where have because i poured so much into another person what legs under the table disappeared for me yeah what what mm-hmm. did i lose that is making me feel irrationally weak that is making me feel like i need this thing to breathe mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because If you can figure that out, oh, you know what? I need to strengthen the family leg. Oh, you know what? I need to strengthen the purpose leg. It doesn't Mm -hmm. have to be work. You don't have to go make a bunch of money. What gives you a sense of purpose? 
Or what hobby can you lose mm-hmm. yourself in and fall in love with again? What friendships are going to give you great meaning in your life because you strengthen them? And these things aren't a magic pill. They don't solve all of your self-worth issues, but they give you legs under the table. Mm-hmm. And when you have legs under the table, you feel more willing to take risks. And saying no to someone or saying I didn't like that yeah. behavior is represents a risk in our yeah. minds. Mm-hmm. But I can take a risk if I I know, Ramani, I, I before I went on live TV, I would get very nervous. And I would call my brother right before going on live TV. I didn't tell him what I was about to do in five minutes. I just called him. Mm-hmm. And I just asked him how he was. And I just had a, a conversation mm-hmm. with him about him and life. And, and, and I finished that call and I went, I have a brother. I have a brother and mm-hmm. I love him. Mm-hmm. And that's so much more than this five minute segment I'm about to do yeah. on this TV show. And, and all of a sudden, it wasn't that it did, the TV show didn't matter to me. It didn't eradicate 100% of my nerves, but it gave me enough confidence to go and be dangerous. It gave me enough confidence to be who I really was in that situation. And you know how people talk about like, you know, like, uh, I won't say the word, but F you money. Like that person has F you money. And what we're really referring to in that phase is they have enough money that they can get a deal put in front of them that's not right, where the terms aren't good, and they can go, no, I don't need this. Yeah. What if we could build fu confidence? That's it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or fu legs. Correct. Really. Where, it is. That's yeah. what I mean. Mm-hmm. Fu mm-hmm. legs on the yeah. lifestyle level. Yep. Yep. That's a great place to start. Yep. yep. If you're saying practically, how do I start to strengthen myself yeah. enough mm-hmm. to where I can actually live by these standards that I almost don't quite feel ready for. I, I love that idea of the FU legs under the table because I think that, I mean, again, what does that imply more than anything? It implies stability. There's no knocking this table down because I think a lot of survivors, people who've really been through it, feel like they're at best, at best their table has two legs. Um, and many feel like it's just the slab on the ground, like there's yeah. just no table. And so, but most feel it's incredibly unstable. And so that idea of the legs as places of stability, and they may be things as, I have a friend I like, I have a vol- something I, I do that I volunteer on, which is definitely something that in terms of surviving narcissistic relationships and then saying, there are these things that matter to me. Like I said, once I started feeling more autonomous professionally and loving, like not just showing up and getting a check, but loving what I I was doing. It was almost like seven legs sprung because some of those other things I wasn't able to cultivate. We will be right back with this conversation with Matthew. It took 11 years to get to the sale. The NYX anniversary sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. 
Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. It's a couple of things I don't want us to forget to get into. One thing I want to, because this, this legs under the table thing, though, is, is taking me to a place where I think a lot of people feel this tremendous pressure, which is time. Okay, and by time, I mean, it's two things I mean. There's the reality of time, and there's even the biology of time. This came up when I spoke at your retreat in Florida. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the questions that stuck with me most was, People were very, I mean, very engaged in the conversation about sort of toxic relationships and dating. But one thing that came up was sort of having children, the, the, the issue of biology. Mm-hmm. And it is something that comes up over and over again. I'm 35, I'm 37, I'm 38. I want to be a mother. Now, listen, I'll, I'll tell you this. Reproductive technology has changed. I, in a very short period of time, have started counseling multiple people on deciding they're going to do it alone. These are women. And they're going to do it alone. I now also know of men who've done it alone. And, you know, gay men have been doing it because they, they've had to, get, you know, get a surrogate, you know, to, to carry a child. But these are men who are, these are straight men saying, I have been burned too many times, but I want to be a father. How do you help people navigate the space of dating, the risks in dating, getting into unhealthy relationships because they feel a pressure by society, by very biologically real time, um, cultural, religious pressure. Mm. How do you guide people through that? In my own life, I uh, I can relate to coming at everything from a place of worst case scenario mm-hmm. and and always going to that place, always catastrophizing. And... You know, a long time ago, I recognized that one of the the great elephants in the room when it came to me helping women was that there was this ticking clock that, applied, by the way, applies to men as well, Yes, which is important to point out, but applies to women on a, on a different level in the way that they, they have an age by which, biologically, it's typical that they will not be able to now fulfill a dream that they have perhaps always had or always been told to have of having children biologically themselves. And if you're not talking about that, then you're not, you're not really covering dating in my opinion, because it's all very well to say, have standards and do this and do that and say no to this. But if you're never mentioning one of the key things that is behind (laughs) that rush for people, And one of the key things, perhaps the key thing that is robbing people of their leverage and their power personally, then you really aren't understanding what's going on. And once I realized this, I didn't know whether to talk about it or not, in truth, because I knew it would be a minefield for me as a man. And I knew that there would be a kind of, and perhaps rightly so, a sense of you don't fully understand or you can never understand. But at a certain point, I stopped caring whether people criticized me for talking about it because I realized if I can at least start the conversation, then people are going to have the conversation. And what I deal with in droves is people who get to a point in their life where not having had the conversation, not just with someone else, with themselves, 
has deeply, deeply affected their life. Yeah, absolutely. And they are now grieving because they never had the conversation. Correct. So I'm now less worried about being clumsy and more worried about having the conversation. And I will say this, to not perhaps to reinforce your militant point, I find myself addressing this almost from the same place of strategy and control, but from the point of actually assessing, honestly, what are my options? Let me stop for a moment. Let me stop running. Let me stop racing to every date. Let me stop trying to make this relationship move really fast because I think it has to happen. It has to happen with this person. If it doesn't, oh my God, what am I going to do? Let me stop for a moment and have a hard conversation with myself. What is it I want? Okay, maybe plan A is I meet someone amazing and we have children of our own. We're both fertile. We can both have that and we do that. That may be plan A, but you better fall in love with plan B. Mm-hmm. Fall in love with plan B, even while plan A is still a possibility. What's you have? It starts with saying, what is plan B? What is plan B? If this doesn't happen, what's plan B? And it might be, okay, well, if I don't meet someone by this age, I'm going to do it myself. I'm going to decide that now because the moment I've truly decided that and fallen in love with it, that's a step further, I grant you. But if I can actually live there for a moment, even before it has to be a reality and I can go, can I love that? You know what? I think I can. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And by the way, if I can't love it, that's also a form of closure. If I've realized yeah. that I don't want that, Correct. that's okay. No judgment. But when you make your peace with that, you know what? I want to do this as a traditional yeah. unit or not at all. That's closure. But if you know, oh, I will do this by myself if it doesn't yeah. happen, that's closure. And I can even love that. And by the way, go find people who have done that and love it, mm-hmm. who have done that and it's the greatest gift they gave themselves, who have done that, and by the way, is plan C adoption, is go go run the plans. And at any time, if you're willing to make plan B the new plan A, and I really believe in life, the key to happiness is not just deferring to plan B, but it's making plan B so beautiful yeah. that it is plan A now. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. that. Go, oh my God, I'm so glad plan A didn't happen. To me, that's happiness in life is when you can pivot in that way. And whether it's by, and I did a whole podcast episode with two uh, experts on freezing your eggs. Mm-hmm. And it was an amazing episode and we got all the detail on it and the real process of what people have to go through when they do that. And you can hear for yourself. That might buy me some time. It might at least be a pressure valve. It's super expensive. Many people can't do it, can't afford to do it, don't want to take the time off work. But if I want to do that, that may be another pressure valve. But let me actually assess this. And most of us, we not only are unwilling to have hard conversations with other people, but we are unwilling to have hard conversations with ourselves. When we have that hard conversation with ourselves, things change for people. There is a different power to them. And now, by the way, if I've decided... You know what I want? I don't want to, I actually do not want to casual date. I don't want connection more than I want an actual family. So the next time someone comes into my life and they like me and it feels fun and exciting, I'm actually not assessing it just through that lens anymore. I'm assessing it through the lens of, is this a time waster? Mm -hmm. And if I 
if this person is kind of being like, I hear from them one month and not the next, this is not someone who's consciously Mm -hmm. looking for a relationship. So I'm going to back off. And if you ask me why I'm backing off, I'm not going to be aggressive. I'm going to say, to be honest with you, I, I know that what I have to offer is super valuable and super precious. And when I give it to someone, they're going to be super lucky. And I want to give it to someone who I feel is actually investing on the level I'm willing to invest. And I don't feel like you're mm-hmm. in that space. Now, that's a, that can make someone come close, be closer yeah. to you, or it can drive someone away. Either way, you will find the right person faster if you say the no to the wrong person quicker. Right. Mm-hmm. But you can only say no to the wrong people quicker if you've defined wrong people. Right, right. That's wrong, right. Right That's person right. isn't person I have a connection with. No. Right person is person who's on the same path as me who I have a connection with. And if you've actually defined that because you've already had the hard conversation with right. yourself about what's most important right now, you know what to say no to. I mm-hmm. think there are people everywhere right now who haven't actually figured out what it is they're saying no to. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. anything that's exciting that comes along, okay, you have my time and my energy and my mm-hmm. attention. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that cl- you don't get that time back. I think that this, the falling in love with the plan B, not only has implications for how people find love, meet people, but it's also how they get out of relationships. Because plan B on the back end of a relationship is potentially having to date again someday or being alone or living alone for the first time in 20, 30, 40 years for some people, right? And so the falling in love with that plan B too is it's a whole different game because the front end of that hasn't been constructed in their lives. And and it was that work of falling in love with the plan B to me has a lot of power for survivors because that falling in love with the plan B could also be how you take yourself back after you've been hurt and allow yourself to reconstruct the standard, not to meet someone else, mm. but to actually make a new life. Yeah. It's not just about me- meeting and falling in love. It's about loving life, loving your life. And to me, that that's still love. It's not just love of the other, because if you do love your life, it's going to come, friends, future partner, anything like that. And a lot of that is intentionality. It's teaching people to look for those moments to love. And again, holidays are, were prime for that. And the clients I was working with, I said, like, let's talk about what Christmas was like without him. And they're like, oh, actually, I didn't even think about it. It was really fun this year. Like, we didn't clean up the wrapping paper. I was like, how was that? It was so fun. Like, we were just the dogs were playing in it. They didn't notice those things. And then that intentionality really helps people realize that. So I think that that, there's a power to what you're saying, again, on both sides of this sandwich, you know. It's the... um, What you just... Yeah. What you just said is profoundly important. I think we're in uh, three relationships, uh, whether we like it or not. We're in relationship with other people. Even if you're not in a romantic relationship, you are in a relationship with other people in life. You're in a relationship with yourself and you're in a relationship with life. And you have to start seeing those things as real relationships. Uh, right. Over Christmas, you know, over the holidays, I, I, on Christmas Day, you know, everyone puts out Merry Christmas messages to everyone. And this Christmas, I thought to myself, you know what people don't necessarily say is who's having a complicated Christmas. And... <sighs> When you're having a complicated Christmas, and, and it could be any day of the year, but you feel it at a time when there's a blueprint for how it's supposed to look yes, in our minds. That's right. uh, and life is like that. You, uh, you think that 
you can't be happy because of the circumstances. Correct. And and I am a big believer that there's a shift that we can make. There are times in life where life doesn't seem to be bringing us magic. And I I truly believe that we've found our power again when we decide to make the pivot from being a seeker of magic to being an author of magic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If, yeah. if we can be on a tough day like that and go where I, I can lead I can lead. Maybe I was protecting my family for the last 20 years and that family just blew up and that was not the life I right. wanted. Well, okay, now we have a different set of circumstances, right. but the game is how can you be the author of magic in those circumstances? Mm-hmm. And when you start thinking like that, I really believe life changes and you, all mm-hmm. your power comes back to you, mm-hmm. even in situations where you think you've lost it. I work with people on how to navigate really toxic relationships. It's, it's, it's grotesque guidance, right? You have to change your expectations. Like if you're going to stay in this, you're going to have to disengage. They're not interested in you. They're not going to pay attention to you. They don't want to see all of you. So that means we're going to teach you that this is who they are. You're not going to be a surprise when they come in and they do the same thing. And it means you're also going to cultivate other spaces in your life. But what happens when the expectations get ratcheted to reality it actually creates because all of human misery to me is the gap between what we want and the, what really is. The bigger that gap, the greater the misery. The more you can narrow some of that, and it may be that this is what I'm getting and this is how I can narrow that gap. I may not be unhappy in this relationship. Then a person thinks, does that mean I have to live in lowered expectations and perpetuity? Not at all. Now it's to say, if these are some of my expectations, I'm going to take these to other places in life. And that's, and, and it, 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 none of this is easy. I think that if I've learned one thing through our conversation is that I think we want sort of like the five tips, five tips to find the guy of my dreams or the gal of dreams Mm. or my person of my dreams. There are no five tips. This is work. This is working on yourself. This is making yourself accountable to you. This is about giving yourself permission to individuate, to be autonomous, to honor yourself in any way you can. This is about building yourself out first before you put yourself in those situations. And then by building yourself out, you can hold those standards. This is a process. There is no pithy advice. There is no TikTok video that in a minute and a half is going to tell you how to find sustaining true love. But the reassuring thing is that there are more ways for you to be happy than the old you could ever have conceived mm. of. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love that. Matthew, I want people to be able to find you. How can people find that magic? How can people find Matthew Hussey? Well, I don't need to tell you that means so much coming from you. So thank you. Instagram, the Matthew Hussey is a good place to just keep up with me if you just want to dip your toe in the water. And if you want a deeper journey with me, the thing that I have coming up that is genuinely transformative in the sense that it truly begins a new path for you, the virtual retreat that I have is something you can do from anywhere in the world. You don't have to fly anywhere. You can do it from home. Ramani, you've kindly uh, come to be a guest speaker on that a couple of times. And it's the deepest work I do with people. So if you want to go through that process with me, mhvirtualretreat.com is the link. Great. We'll have all of that in the notes. And Matthew has books, but I have spoken at his retreats. And I have to say, having met your audience and everything, it, it is so engaged. People are so present. You have, you have a tremendous community. And I've talked firsthand 
people in my life who didn't know we were connected. I said, wait a minute, you're on his. And, and these are people who have said, you know, Matthew has changed my life. And I'm so glad to hear that someone I'm friends with that I care about has now connected with him. So you're making real change in the life of people I love dearly and who have, some of them have ended up in beautiful love stories and some of them have just found, ended up in beautiful places. So thank you on their behalf. And, um, and again, thank you for this conversation. I think it really has... I, I love this. The, the energy it brings to this is that I think it, it gives hope to survivors. I think a lot of us believe that we lost our chance to have our love story when we went through a toxic relationship or relationships, and that it's a reminder that having been through these relationships not only doesn't steal your love story, it's actually going to be a lot richer than you think. So there's hope for us. Thanks again. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Here are my takeaways from my conversation with Matthew. First, stop trying to be a red flag detector or a narcissism detective. Finding healthy love is more complicated than that. When you focus all of your energy on collecting red flags, you may miss the opportunity to be present, slow down, and pay attention to how you feel rather than focusing on their toxic quirks. This relates to a key element of maintaining a healthy relationship, which is discernment. So it's all about pacing. Matthew talks a lot about standards and starting from a point of having what you want for a relationship in mind. But a major issue for survivors of narcissistic relationships is that these standards are not easy to establish or even what a healthy relationship looks like. Getting into a healthy relationship isn't about the aha moment of figuring out that another person's behavior is narcissistic, but rather learning and living into what constitutes acceptable behavior and a healthy relationship. For this next takeaway, be open. This may be half of the challenge, not just in life, but also in relationships. Matthew talks about curiosity and openness that things can be different. This approach can actually be really useful for survivors of narcissistic relationships and for people who keep finding themselves in unhealthy relationships. Curiosity is a bit of a superpower. The willingness to consider doing things differently merely asks us to just consider that there are other ways out there. As Matthew suggests, once we recognize that what we are doing is making us miserable, a key to healing and moving forward is to also recognize that there may be a better option. And this relates to his guidance, this idea of falling in love with your plan B. Being open to a plan B is also a stretch for survivors, but giving yourself permission to even consider one and then allow yourself to love it can give survivors their power back. In our next takeaway, there are standards and there are tactics. This is an important distinction that Matthew makes because so much of the content out there on dating and relationships focuses on tactics. Well, don't respond to a text right away or wait for them to contact you, that kind of thing. 
standards represent deeper work. And for people who may have survived past toxic relationships are not easy work. It means recognition of what is acceptable and making your choices accordingly, even if it feels uncomfortable. In this next takeaway, one thing that really struck me about this conversation, which is so important, Matthew emphasizes this idea that it is okay to be unhappy without a label. And this point is so important. In essence, he is saying, let's stop making this about he is a narcissist and rather about this doesn't feel good or I'm not enjoying this or merely that I'm not happy in this. Instead of trying to validate an uncomfortable relationship by calling someone out as narcissistic, it may be more useful to simply acknowledge and give yourself permission to note that you aren't happy and then proceed from there. And for our final takeaway, maybe the real work of dating is getting legs under the table, which is the idea of creating stability by having lives full of varied things that matter to us and strengthen us. Meaning, purpose, people, and activities that matter, social support, more legs mean more stability, especially when we are trying to navigate dating and relationships. I like Matthew's metaphor and can see how the work of healing from narcissistic abuse and moving forward into new relationships of any kind can actually be the psychological carpentry of building those legs under our table, creating whole, full lives and identities. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.